You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Uh, good evening, everybody. Those of you who are watching us live, uh, I'm Jacob Daniel, uh, the Daniel Three Podcast. Um, I'm excited to have Reed Coverdale on of the Naturalist Capitalist Podcast. Reed, how are you doing tonight? Doing well, Jacob. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thanks for agreeing to come on. Um, yeah, you're something. You're someone that uh, you know. In a lot of our circles, we've been paying attention to for a while. You know, I think especially since you kind of started talking to Dave Smith and you were. Uh, you know, doing the libertarian unity thing kind of with uh, David and some others. Um, and uh, yeah, then like the month of May and June happened, which were like, you know, nonstop trauma in the libertarian world, uh, mainly in the party. Um, so uh, I wanted to talk about that first um, uh, and and also kind of get like, and I'm sure a lot of people watching this are familiar with you and your backstory, but maybe like kind of, uh, give a little bit of both, like answer two questions at once. I'll throw two at you. Kind of like how you got into the movement and the party. And then also like, um, you know, what your observations have been, what your kind of like feelings have been kind of with like, you know, the, the LP in general when you got involved versus like now where, where things stand. Yeah. So I voted for Gary Johnson in 2016. So that was my first involvement, I guess you could say. Um, but man, I just thought the party was such a joke. You know, I mean, the for we're, that we're not allowed to say that, Reed. It's, yeah, it's rude and well, offensive. <laughs> I mean, I don't hate Gary Johnson. I feel like people either hate him or love him. I, I just don't think he was very good. I, I mean, I don't have yeah. anything against him as a person. He's, I have, uh, uh, I have friends who are personal friends with him, and that's fine. You know, I don't care. Um, 
But I just didn't think he did that well. I wasn't impressed. He, he had no philosophy backing up any of his views. You know, it was all just kind of like, oh, we're the we're the other people. You know, we're not the Republicans and we're not the Democrats. So please vote for us. It just wasn't very compelling. Um, so I just didn't bother with the Libertarian Party after that. And um, I just kind of went local. I, li- I lived in New Hampshire, so I voted, at, you know, for governor and uh, state house, things like that. And I decided I probably wasn't going to vote for president ever again. Uh, this was in like 2018, uh, early 2019. Uh, and then Tulsi Gabbard came around and um, she, I didn't agree with her on, I don't know, a third of the issues or something, but she was really uh, speaking out against the wars and specifically controversial uh, points on the wars. It wasn't like she was saying the Iraq war was a mistake. She was saying the war in Syria was a mistake. We shouldn't have armed the rebels against Assad. Assad didn't pose a threat to the United States and that we were going to go to war with Iran if we didn't change our course. And that caught my attention. I was like, oh, damn. Um, so I volunteered on her campaign. And man, just the uphill battle that that was, uh, you know, there, there was no way she was ever going to be allowed to go anywhere. Um, and so I, after her campaign, I was like, why was I even, why was I doing that? You know, like what, what did I expect to happen? And I don't regret it. It was totally worth it just for the experience. But, um, I was like, what, what was I expecting to happen? If she somehow did win the nomination, then what, like, are they really going to allow her to, you know, maintain her positions and move forward? Like, it just didn't make any sense. And man, things were so bad. So we were down to Biden and Trump and, in 2020 with the lockdowns and the massive corporate bailouts and massive hysteria rioting everywhere. So I was like, okay, I guess I am going to give this libertarian party thing another look. And I was not any more impressed than I had been in 2016. Um, I was really hopeful for Justin Amash because he actually caught some attention when he said he was going to enter the race. You know, Bill Maher had him on his show. He was on CNN, MSNBC. I think he was on Fox news. Like everyone was like, oh my, this guy's going to do it. So I thought, okay, here we go. And then, you know, that three week uh, honeymoon ended and he left uh, the race and he did join the party, which was great. But I don't know, dude, like I, uh, I had a show at this point that I'd started in May and I was interviewing congressional candidates from the Libertarian Party and they were coming on my show when I had like a thousand subscribers or 2000 subscribers. But I, I was getting like 40, 50 views per show and they were still coming on. And I was like, man, this is really bad. You know, this is this is a tragedy. And so the election happened. Nobody won anything. A couple of people came close in some races, but it was just a massive failure. And so the end of last year, am I being too long, by the way? Or is this is this a good pace? No, you're good. You're good. Okay. Um, the end of last year, I was honestly reconsidering leaving the party again because I'd actually officially joined last summer. And I was like, you know, maybe this thing really is just a joke. I, this article is a unity thing is interesting. Maybe we could get, you know, Thomas Massey and Tulsi Gabbard or Justin Amash and Tulsi Gabbard to run for president together on it or something. Get enough, you know, simplify the issues enough to unite people on something and, you know, just make a dent or do something somehow. I was just kind of throwing a bunch of different ideas at the wall. And then I got in touch with Dave Smith through Twitter. Uh, We just happened to cross paths. And um, right around that time, I think it was January 1st, David Fight 
Jeremy Todd and I had come up with this idea, like, let's give this Libertarian Party thing one last hoorah, because it's what we truly believe in. Uh, you know, the issues are what we how we view them. So let's uh, let's just do a Hail Mary here. Let's try to get people to stop fighting each other over stupid shit and focus on the big issues. And so we kind of threw that out there and Dave saw it and he really liked it because um, he realized that, yeah, there's a lot of needless infighting going on here. So um, we started the Liberty Unity thing and it was very successful for a long time. A lot of people liked it. Um, I would argue that it was a success like it. I think it actually accomplished what it needed to accomplish because you're always going to have your trolls. You're always going to have your dissenters. You're always going to have people with 500 followers on their Twitter account complaining, starting shit, causing trouble, getting angry at each other. Um, you know, we, we had corruption in the Libertarian Party that was ousted like pretty unilaterally. I mean, it was all gone in a very short amount of time. You had Justin Amash and Spike Cohen come out on the same side of the Mises caucus saying this was wrong, regardless of what your opinion on the messaging is. Like, you can't do this. Um, in my mind, that's a win. You know, like uh, January 1st, <laughs> I wasn't feeling like something like that would happen if there were some giant uncovering of corruption. I've seen the important people in the party really work together Um you know, a lot of the people that are causing shit now, I mean, they're not even party members and we shouldn't be giving them much attention. Uh, there's something that happened very recently that was just a ton of drama. There, there's been a whole bunch of things. I shouldn't say one. There's been like five things that just happened recently with non-party members that we were freaking out about. Why? Like, <laughs> I mean, that doesn't matter. So people think like Liberty Unity failed or like, oh, we're as divided as ever. I don't see it that way. I think we're actually doing really well. I think the party's growing immensely. There are a few big detractors on Twitter who don't like it, but that's what they are. They're Twitter people uh, who don't like it and they're going to continue to do that. Uh, they should be ignored. Um, or if you can't help but ignore them, I guess go have your fun engaging them, but don't, don't, you know, don't take that to heart. Don't take it as though Twitter is real life. Um, I think things are going very well. I'm actually happy to be in the libertarian party. Now I'm hopeful for the near future. As far as the distant future goes, I don't know. It could all fall apart because, um, I don't know, libertarians are individualists. So it's very hard to get them to unify around anything and, you know, think about any big picture goals. So sorry for that long winded answer, but I hope that answers what you're asking. Yeah, no. Um, you know, it's interesting. I mean, when I watched what was going on and kind of like, um, your reaction to the scandals that happened, especially revolving New Hampshire and the LNC, uh, then the aftermath of that. Um, and then after that, um, and I don't think like, you know, I don't think you betrayed your, your original message of libertarian unity when you did this. You said, uh, I think what the tweet was like, enough already, time to join the Macy's caucus. Um, and, and then you joined. Um, and, and the explanation you gave, you know, on the podcast you did that was kind of like, you know, what you just said there. Um and it, it's funny because, like, you said a lot of things that I, I that really resonated with me because that's the experience I had, although it was earlier than that, because I was on the ground level seeing a lot of, like, these things happening, but, like, on a smaller scale. 
because yeah. I and and like those were things that were like they didn't have national coverage, you know what I mean? So like you couldn't really go out there and like explain to somebody something that happened in a closed room or in a, in a meeting or, you know, in a private chat, you know, because, you know, we're not, I mean, you could, I guess, screenshot things, but you know, that's, that's how some people on libertarian social media, you know, act. It's not really my thing. I don't like yeah. to <laughs> play that stupid game. Um, yeah. So, um, but, but yeah, like that was like, so I remember when, um, because I'm in Pennsylvania, so I'm like in the neck of the woods where like the actual founders were, like Mike Heiss, Jeff Douglas, uh, yep. Luke Emser. You know, I'm, I'm I'm personal friends with Luke Emser, who's on the XCOM, and so you know I've known about the Mises Caucus for a while. But like ever, like ever since I became a libertarian, I was uh, kind of like you thought the party was a joke, and I liked the Mises Caucus, but I was always like, I always kind of kept. Uh, you know, my affiliation with them informal, like I was in the Facebook group, but I didn't really consider myself a member. And I was hesitant to join and to get involved because like I had heard, I, I like you hear different things on the internet that people say, um, you see some things that you don't know the context about and you're like, okay, it looks like, you know, people are pushing drama and division and came all, and, and like, why can't we just do, unite and fight the state? I don't see why that's so hard. Um, mm -hmm. Uh, but then I saw like the, like the one thing that really shifted it for me was seeing like how a lot of the people who were critical of the Mises caucus often ended up being just really crappy people <laughs> in other areas. Like the way they went after Josh Smith and his family and like yeah. the stuff with his kids was just like awful. Like, yeah, I mean, just, yeah. just unbelievably gross and disgusting. And, yeah. and, and that, that really pissed me off. Um, but uh and, and yeah i just i slowly kind of kept getting a bit more involved and a bit more involved um and, and but 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 as i was involved people would be critical of me a lot and be like you're too friendly with this person or with that person and you know your people would be questioning you know like like what i was doing and like i always kind of had that kind of like mindset of like yeah even people who are saying nasty things about the mises caucus and who are critics we should try to win them over we should try to show them that their worries are wrong um you know and 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 just prove through our actions that they have nothing to worry about and that we can work together and so like i went on the vegetarians podcast i went on other podcasts and I did this like two or three month tour where I like suddenly found myself like a Mises caucus apologist almost like I was, I was like going around and never like answer this tweet from Dave Smith. And what about this post? And what about this? And it's just like, okay, um, people say dumb shit on the internet sometimes. I don't know. Like, you know, do we want to go through your feed and you're going to say that you've never said anything yeah. dumb that maybe like you could look back and go, eh, maybe that wasn't the best tweet. I was like, but like, here's the platform. Here's what they're doing. You know, like, you got a problem with any of that or are we just, you know, like you said, are we making social media real life? And so that, that got more involved. And then if I wasn't already kind of like firmly planted on the, the, the Mises side, so to speak, which I don't even view it that way. I think it's, it's dumb to say there's like sides to this, but uh, I became even more entrenched in, you know, supporting the Mises caucus after everything that happened with New ha New Hampshire and, and the LNC. And to me, it's just like, I, you know, I mean, the Macy's caucus isn't a monolithic entity like it's a group of people. And sure, yeah. there are occasionally people you run into in any group that like you might not like that person. They don't like you. You don't agree with them on a couple things. But like 
in general, the people I find in the Mises caucus are great libertarians, and I think they got their priorities straight. And I see them willing to work with people who have their priorities, you know, straight, at least like even if they have disagreements, like as long as you aren't going out of your way to like, you know, do corrupt, evil on libertarian stuff to oppose the Mises caucus. Basically what happens is like we have our conventions. There's a friendly competition of ideas and, you know, we, we think our leaders are better. Or you guys think your leaders are better. We hash it out. All right, convention's over and we, we get to work. And there's just so many examples of people in the Mises caucus working with other caucuses and just with other people in general who aren't part of caucuses. And the problem right. is like, um, it's kind of like, I analogize this to like the review system online. You know how like for like for businesses and stuff and like those things are almost skewed to favor bad reviews, like especially for 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 small businesses and stuff, because people who have positive experiences aren't as motivated, like psychologically, I think, to go out there and broadcast it as they are when they have a negative experience. So and then social media amplifies this up. So like you get a group of people that like I, you know, oh, someone on Twitter made an offensive joke that I didn't like or someone on Twitter, uh, you know, said something about like purging libertarians or, or whatever. And then, you know, 99 percent of the time you look into it and it's like that guy has no involvement in the Mises caucus. But what, what people don't see and that's not advertised enough just because like people don't want to go out there and like. I don't know, like give themselves like attaboys and pat like people aren't going to go out there and like, oh, look at all the good things I did. Look at all the like because it's just silly. Like you shouldn't have to do that. Like I don't I don't go out there and uh, brag about like when I had a good day at work. You know what I mean? It's just like I I did my work and I go home and whatever. But people don't see that. So what they see is the toxic stuff on social media. And what they're not seeing is that that is so immensely dwarfed by what's actually happening on the ground level. It's my thoughts. Yeah. A few things. Uh, so my introduction to the Mises caucus wasn't Dave Smith or Tom Woods or any of those guys. Mine was Jacob Hornberger. And I really want to get Jacob on my show. I tried to meet him at Porkfest, but I just never, <laughs> I, I walked by him while he was doing a speech, but I never got to run into him. I think he was really bad at presenting the message. He did not make it appear as though the Mises caucus was focusing on the important issues. He made it seem that the Mises caucus was focusing on Medicaid. And I was like, dude, coronavirus and you're focusing on getting rid of Medicaid. (laughs) Yeah. And he was also just, I think strategically like way too aggressive in the debates and stuff and kind of came off a little bit of the dick sometimes. So that didn't help him. And he also looked like an extremist as in, and I don't mean that in a good way. I mean, that is like, if you're not with me a hundred percent, then you are not one of us, you know, Uh, trying to frame Justin Amash as a socialist. I was just like, dude, that's, I mean, it's Justin Amash scares most people, (laughs) you know, like, most mainstream people, when they hear Justin Amash's ideas, they're going to think they're crazy. And you're calling him a socialist, you know? So I was just like, yeah, okay. I have some disagreements with Justin Amash and some criticisms, but yeah, sure, calling him too. a socialist never really crossed my mind. Yeah. So I um, did not look at him as someone who could unify the movement. Um, you know, I want, cause I, I've been a Ron Paul fan. Um, I, I, unfortunately, um, not until after he ran, like I was in uh, my senior year of high school, the second time he ran. 
And I did like him, but not for the right reasons. I just liked him because I was like, yeah, that guy's saying what he thinks or whatever. But it was a couple of years after 2012, it was like 2014 that I started actually listening to what he said and, um, you know, more what his son was saying in Congress, but it caused me to go back and look at his videos from his 2012 run and really start to internalize some of the things he said. Um, so I, I had zero issues with Ron Paul, zero issues with Tom Woods, like any of these people. Um, but Jacob Hornberger was my introduction. And then like pretty much the next thing I saw was, you know, I had worked on the Tulsi Cabard campaign. Then I saw Dave Smith's interview with Joe Jorgensen where they just shit all over Tulsi Cabard. So I was like, okay, like the, I don't know what these guys are trying to do. You know, what, who do they want to join the party? Who are they going to try to appeal to? They seem like they want this tiny little, uh, you know, losers club, basically. So I had like the complete opposite of the truth um, as my lens for what was going on, just because of the way that it was introduced to me. And then after a while, I stepped back, you know, and things started making more sense after the election. Um, once I got to know Dave well and a lot of guys in the Mises caucus, I realized like, hey, these guys care about ending the wars, ending the Fed, ending the war on drugs, demilitarizing the police. They're not arguing about age of consent laws or getting rid of driver's licenses or, you know, abolishing speed limits, whatever. Like, that's not that's what I thought they would be focusing on. I thought they were going to be like checklist guys. Like, do you believe this, 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 this and this? It's totally not true. They're actually the much more tolerant caucus. Um and that was very eye-opening, and I realized, okay, you know what, um, this is kind of what I believe in. And so that's why I eventually ended up joining, because I just realized the Mises Caucus was actually representing what I believed in, because I do believe in that. I don't care about the stupid minutiae of political ideology. I care about the big issues. And if we can unite on those big, important issues, ending the Fed, ending the wars, ending the war on drugs, um, demilitarizing the police, you know, uh, we can argue about voluntary cannibalism after <laughs> we end the wars or whatever. So uh, that, that, that was my evolution to actually joining. It was just the realization that, oh, this is, no, these guys are actually saying what I think. So you didn't join because somebody compelled you at the point of a gun to swear fealty to Michael Heiss and and uh, drink zombie paste to become well, one of our... It was actually because I read uh, Hitler's Lebensraum policy oh, okay. and it really yeah. resonated with me. And I was like, oh, okay, you know, these guys are my people. So. <laughs> I know. And it's like when you read our platform, it's like, oh, yeah, that screams alt-right. That yeah, screams exactly. Nazi, right? <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, <laughs> oh, God. It's always like, oh, you're dog whistling to them. And it's, you know, and I'm, at, I'm in a unique position because like one of... I have a few different positions within within the caucus, but one of them is um, approving new members into at least like the Facebook group. Um, yeah. So like I screen everybody as they, I mean, I'm not the only person doing it, but we all work together. We screen people and, you know, there's a lot of people we let in where it's like, you look at them like, hey, great libertarian, you let them in. Then it's like the people who are like ex-Republicans, ex-Democrats or whatever, like we screen them a bit because you kind of like our general guideline is if they seem open-minded and trending in our direction, let them in. If their wall is filled with like nonstop MAGA hat 
you know, shit, then eh, maybe not. <laughs> I mean, yeah. you know, I, but it also just depends, you know, and it depends like we, we also have like questions they have to answer. And, you know, like there's people who, you know, anyone can become a libertarian and regardless of their past. I mean, there's people who were Trumpers who have become good libertarians. I mean, my past isn't great. I, I was a Bernie Sanders supporter in 2015 um, and voted for Hillary Clinton in 20, in, in 2016 when Bernie didn't get the, the democratic nomination so and yeah, I didn't vote. Funny, uh, a lot of people think that i'm a new libertarian because of the tulsi gabbard stuff where I, I mean who else are you supposed to support in 2020 when there was no obvious libertarian candidate you got trump or the lineup of democrats you had or not voting which is something i respect but i mean she was way better than trump and way better than all the other democrats but a lot of people think i was a tulsi supporter and then i found out about libertarianism it's not true. Like I've been a libertarian since 2015, 2016 ish. So just wanted to throw that in there. Sorry to cut you off, but no, no, you're fine. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it's like it, but it's, it'd be totally fine if you didn't discover libertarianism sure. through Tulsi. I mean, yeah. uh, things about Tulsi and Bernie who are, you know, I think Tulsi is a lot better than Bernie, but even Bernie, at least back in like the 2015 days was a bit more based on, on the wars and, um, and, and he pointing out the like he was at least if he didn't look yeah, at the record. Right. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, he, he was, he was at least, a, a you know, a little bit anti-establishment. Like he, he talked a lot about the issues that I kind of still care about, but it's just that his solutions are, were garbage. And I like, basically like the main thing that shifted in my head from like 2015 me to now is like an understanding of economics. Cause basically I didn't have that in, in 2015. And I slowly got challenged on that. Um, I mean, first I got challenged by people like Ben Shapiro and people who came on like the Dave Rubin podcast. And so that I, but, but you know, through, uh dave rubin you know he had some like brian kaplan on and then through brian kaplan uh i discovered people like like dave smith i started going to local libertarian groups and they introduced me to to rothbard and, and all that so i mean um yeah. that's that's kind of how i came to it but yeah i just you know and, and i'm sure like i'm not saying anything you don't know but like like i said before the Mises caucus is is a group of people we have all sorts of disagreements it's there's no there's like no uniformity at all. If anything, I always tell people a more valid criticism of the caucus could be sometimes that we're almost too decentralized if there is a thing, because sometimes it's literally like uh, the left hand is doing something that the right hand has no, you know, no idea what they're doing. And then it's like something happens and it's like, oh, well, why'd you do that? You know, and it's like, but that's that's the culture that that. Mike and the XCOM have kind of pushed forward because like, I mean, they'll step in and try to set a direction, but like, you know, if you're going to promote decentralization and libertarianism, then like they kind of do want state and local Mises caucus affiliates to kind of like take a lead. We don't want it to be top down because like you can't really preach and act top down and then promote a decentralization message as far as like politics and libertarianism. I think it kind of has to be, run you know somewhat loosely decentralized and 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 that's a good thing and the the problem is as always people have really awful time preferences and when there's an issue people demand to get fixed now and don't always realize like you know like like the one shortcoming of the market if you could even call it that is that it's not always the quickest to react to something um whereas like central planning can sometimes like 
you know, be manipulated to actually be very fast. But it doesn't mean like fast isn't always good. Like when you rush a decision, just go like, oh, we're going to force everybody to be uniform and act in this way. It's like, well, you probably didn't have all the facts. You probably didn't have enough time to think it through. And your your action or your proposed solution probably kind of sucks. And it's probably better for things to, you know, the market does eventually like over the the longest of of analysis over time uh, comes up with the best solutions. I think that's kind of how, uh, the Mises caucus does things too. Like, you know, there'll be weeks where like there's a day or two where like, I'm really frustrated with what's going on. But then like over a two month time span, it's like, Oh wow, we actually handled this pretty well. Um, but it's just, you know, you, you gotta let things develop and play out sometimes. And people don't want to do that because, you know, I think social media and just our, our general things about our society, they, they, incentivize people to be very reactionary and very uh sensationalized and kind of like viewing things in these super high time preference mindsets yeah i think libertarians have to be better because um as you pointed out the market is slower but correct answers are also more complex they're not just bullet lists you know um medicare for all build the wall green new deal uh, you know, name your stupid little talking point that is supposedly going to solve everything. <laughs> you know, right. and, and libertarians are sometimes guilty of that because they're not explaining what they mean when they say um, the market will provide. You know, they've got to explain that to normies because although I agree that's true, you've got to, um, you, you know, people aren't thinking the same way you are. But when these, Democrats and Republicans are saying those things that I just listed. They are literally thinking, oh, yeah, this is going to fix the problem. We build a wall. We won't have illegal immigrants coming in anymore. Right. We have Medicare for all. Healthcare costs are going to go down and the government will subsidize it and everybody will have great health care and problem solved. Duh. You just pass <laughs> you know? a law. The money printer goes burr. You drop a bomb in Syria and you're all good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, that's how all they today. So it's on us to be more complex in our own thinking and then understand that every, uh, everyone else is dumb and you know, dumb it down for them and be willing to explain it to them. Yeah, 100 percent agree. Um, the, the other area I wanted to talk about where we have, I think, a similar background, but we've kind of had diverging paths a bit um, is more on like re- religion and faith in general. And like I've heard you talk a bit on your podcast, but I don't want to like uh, just go off of memory, but like, I, I think right now you're kind of like agnostic or, or maybe leaning atheist. Like what are your current religious views? Yeah. So, I mean, it gets caught up in semantics. I, I don't call myself an agnostic because to me, agnostic really means I have no idea and I think it's unknowable or, you know, I think it's, or I, I'm ambivalent. Like, so, I mean, if you were to tell me, I believe in God and uh, that's it. You know, I believe in a higher power. I believe in a God. I don't really have a counter to that because it's so vague. It's um, kind of an open-ended statement as to what the descriptors are there. So, okay. I mean, your guess is like, that is It's like mine. saying, are you for hope and change? It's like, sure. Now, yeah. what the fuck do you mean? <laughs> exactly. But uh, the more specific you get, um, with dates and descriptions and historical events and future events, I'm going to believe you less, if that makes sense. So, I mean, when it comes to Christianity or Islam, 
I would say I'm an atheist. Like I, I, I don't, it would take a lot of convincing for me to believe that it's not just ambivalent. I don't think it's just as likely, or, or let's put it this way. Like I am more of an atheist toward Mormonism than Baptist Christianity. Like Baptist Christianity by default is more likely true because there are fewer specifics involved. There's no Joseph Smith, no golden tablets, no, you know, that whole side of the story is gone. So by default, it becomes more simple, less detailed. It's more likely to be true. And, and so, just to, just to be clear, like you're you're using atheist in a sense of like a state of being unconvinced, or or do you mean it more in a state of like being or just right? Because I mean, there's there's different, you know. And I think in general, I hear atheists like when I hear someone say they're an atheist, I just assume they mean that they are uh, unconvinced. But then some people go, well, no, I'm actually convinced that there is no God. So it's like I never know exactly right. where people so fall I'm not in that divide. Convinced that there, I don't think anyone's convinced that there is no God, just like I don't think anyone's convinced there is a God. I think we're all – I think agnostic is better as an adjective than a noun. I don't think sure. anyone's really agnostic. Maybe some people are. Maybe some people just don't think about it at all. Yeah. Like, no, I, don't know, you know, like, I, I agree. Well, I had this conversation with uh, – Jose Galison uh, last episode yeah. about how I was like, yeah, I, I kind of think people who are Gnostic are kind of ridiculous because like, how can you have really absolute certainty and much like, like I think even to have absolute certainty, certainty of your uh, five senses and what's going on in your head is sometimes a little bit murky, but we kind of move past that because solipsism is like stupid. <laughs> so or like yeah. it's stupid as far as like being workable. So, but yeah, it's like, you know, I'm a Christian. I have faith, but like I am, agnostic to a point like where it's like i don't know no and like if i did why would i call it faith kind of stupid like faith and knowledge are kind of to me two different things i don't understand why some religious people not not all but i think a lot of religious people tend to kind of like when they just when they say they believe in god they're using that to describe like well i know god exists versus like i have faith i believe that god exists but um, I there's no way to be 100% sure. Yeah, the annoying thing is, you know, if you say you're a Christian, you don't get caught into this conversation about like, well, are you saying you know that this is true? It's like, no, I mean, you're just saying that's what you believe. What, but if you're an atheist, then you get backed into this corner of like, well, are you saying you know there isn't a God? It's like, well, <laughs> obviously not. I mean, nobody knows what is real. We're all making our best guess. But uh, I mean, that's why I use the term atheist, because I don't believe in God. Um, and as I said earlier, I mean, the more specific or ridiculous, in my opinion, a religion is, the less the harder it's going to be to convince me it's true. Just like with anything else, like if you told me Donald Trump is sitting down right now, I mean, OK, there's a pretty high chance that's true. But then if you say Donald Trump is sitting in your car right now eating Cheetos while listening to Johnny Cash songs and wearing a Speedo. Uh, I mean, if I'm going to believe you, I'm going to have to, you know, I'm going to that's going right. to that's going to require some substantial evidence. And then even if you say, oh, yeah, uh, here, I'll put him on the phone. And then, you know, I hear and it sounds like his voice. I'm still not all the way there. I mean, I'm like, uh, OK, uh, now you've got my attention. And then you send me a picture of it. And I'm still like, OK, I mean, it's, it's still such a far fetched scenario that, you know, it's going to take. Uh, so it's not like you have I could have this one, um, you know, this one experience that just 
completely flips my position. Like I could have an experience with any of these religions, I suppose, that makes me say, hmm, that's weird. I want to know more about that. I want to delve into that more. That's making me reconsider this. Where so many people, they seem to go one way or the other. And I mean, same with atheism. Like that was a long journey from Christianity because I I never wanted to be an atheist. I never like said, oh boy, atheism's based. You know, I, I, that would be awesome. Like I resisted it actually. Um, I, it was scary, you know? So I, it, it was probably, I don't know, a five year journey mm-hmm. um, to accepting that. And it was just, it, it was just kind of diluting the faith, you know, little by little, like, oh, okay, I don't really believe all these Old Testament stories. I think they're fables, but I still believe in, Jesus, you know, that he died for our sins. And then it was like, okay, I think Jesus died for everybody and we all go to heaven now. And I was like, okay, I don't even know if I really believe Jesus was God. Jesus was this man who had the spirit of God. I mean, so it like just got more and more vague. And then finally it was like, okay, do you actually believe any of this? Like, why, why are you saying this? Is this just a placebo to yourself to convince yourself that you still believe in something or what is this? So I finally had to you know, deconstruct it and start from, you know, square one and say, okay, what do I believe? So it would be like that for me to go into a religion at this point. It wouldn't just be, you know, like, oh, I have this conviction and there I am because that's just not the way I am. I mean, I, I didn't, same with libertarianism, you know, I didn't just show up there on day one. I didn't hear Rand Paul say something. I was like, oh, this is me. Like, I want to be this. It took along. I mean, I'm still evolving in libertarianism. You know, I, sure. I just became an anarchist, like three or four months ago, finally, it was like, yeah, this kind of makes sense. And I'm sure it's going to be a journey that continues. So the, uh, you know, the fact that these are kind of um, presented as binary choices that you're either in or out. And there's just like this one experience you have that makes you think one way or another. Maybe that's true for some people, but, you know, it's just uh, this is not how it would work for me, if that makes so, sense. Yeah. So, so Daniel uh, made an interesting comment here, which I was actually kind of thinking, too. Um would you say that your like epistemology is sort of like, uh, like like natural, like not to make a pun, like You're naturalist, not, yeah. <laughs> um, or 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 materialist, um, or or do you? Because not all atheists are, I would say, strictly materialists. Like there are some people who make some kind of like room for a hypothetical, like spiritual spirituality, whether it's through you know psychedelics or or just in general, like they believe in in some kind of like higher power or plane. And like you said, that's not specific. So it's kind of like, well, I don't know, but like, do you think the universe just like is, and it's just like, it's just matter, uh, space, energy, and then the void and everything returns to the void and that's it. Or do you think there are elements to reality that go beyond materialism? And like, I'm always like, this is where it gets, a little bit into like metaphysics and, 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 you know, spooky stuff, I guess, but like, right. you know, like, like consciousness and like personality, like these are things that I even think, like, if you want to take religion out of it, it's like, okay, like if you, you don't believe in a God, uh, like one central, like creator of the universe, who's a person, a mind and a being, whatever, like we can leave that off the table, but like, what are, what are we, are we just like highly sophisticated chemical bags of meat or, is there something like a soul or a consciousness or a person that like, you know, the difference between somebody on their deathbed and when they die, isn't just a set of chemical processes dying. There is something 
deeper, something spiritual, something, uh, you know, that that's beyond materialism as far as what can be explained and measured that that's gone. Like, what, what, what are your thoughts on, on that kind of stuff? Yeah. So first of all, I'd say my logic as far as determining what is true or real is materialistic. You know, I think that I think everybody's actual logic is, you know, sometimes they let their emotions get in the way. But if they're trying to make a sound financial decision or um, they're moving or they're finding a new company or something, you know, your logic is going to be determined by what you know is real. Um, Unless, as I said, your emotions get in the way and then you just say, "Okay, I'm having all these red flags, but I'm going to go for it anyway because I just feel like it'll turn out well. Um, so as far as when I'm determining what I think is real or solid or, um, concrete, I am going to base that off of logic, not feelings. Um, but yeah, I do have a very deep, uh, we'll use the word spiritual side to myself. You know, I, um, you know, when I go hiking in the mountains or, um, when I'm, involved with libertarianism even you know when i have swells of emotion uh there's something there and whether that is just synapses firing or if that's some energy field that we're tapping into or if it's a soul i don't know and i I don't pretend to know but to me it doesn't really make a difference you know um (laughs) as long as that's there that's what matters to me if it is just synapses firing Oh, well, I mean, I I don't see why it makes a difference in the end. Um, And if it is an energy field um, or a soul, you know, I don't know. I mean, (laughs) I don't think any of us can know what that is. I think to devalue that experience based on what we think it is, is a mistake, though, Um, because, you know, that's what gets us through life. Um, I mean, if that if there is no soul, if there is no God, if there is no energy field or whatever, if it is all natural, I don't want to stop living. It doesn't give me a desire to go shoot myself. I mean, I still have a deep desire to do things that I'm passionate about because it makes me feel that way. Um, so I don't know to answer your question. And I don't think any of us really do know. Sure. Well, I I mean, we don't, we don't know, but like we could maybe make statements of probability or, because uh, like I, I agree, and that's kind of what I was stating earlier. You know, is like I agree with like we we can't make statements of like, I mean, we can say like colloquially, like I know something, but then like when you get to like specifics, it's like there isn't much we know with absolute certainty. But I think we can make statements of like, uh, well, this is just unknowable. This is well, we can make approximate guesses, or hey, we can get pretty close to something approximating, you know, reasonable certainty. Um, I think, I think matters of like faith and, or matters of like spirituality, consciousness, like these are not things that I think we can be anywhere close to the reasonably certain, uh, side of the spectrum. But I I think we can be more, we can, we can make a statement like it's more probable than not based upon what we know right now. Um, like I think it's more probable than not that there is something beyond materialism, it doesn't mean I can define it. it. Doesn't mean that I can make any like very strong claim, uh, like like to like a like a thesis about it. Other than just to say like I don't know what. It, it's hard for me to understand why. Like if we were just material, then like we are almost like in my mind, I'm thinking like all we are is literally just like 
uh, highly evolved like space dust and atoms just, you know, that have happened after like, you know, billions and billions of collisions and reactions. And they just led to what we are here today. I mean, I think materialism almost sort of presupposes determinism. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. That's sort of a whole other rabbit hole to get down on. But, (laughs) but, um, but it just makes me wonder like, okay, like if that's all there is, I don't know what we do then about like concepts of ethics and morality other than just to say like, well, there's just evolutionarily uh, developed modes of behavior that are preferable in the general sense of the survival of a species. But to me, it's like, A, I don't know if that's a compelling argument on a societal scale to be like murder is bad because it's not evolutionarily preferable. And B, um, this is kind of like a C.S. Lewis mere Christianity critique. Like that just doesn't, that's not how humans act. Like, you know, like if we're talking about like humans acting, which is kind of a Mises term, uh, humans act as if there are actions that are good and bad and that have a meaning beyond just like a materialist sense. Like when people respond with um, like take, we'll take something like, like, you know, the, the wood chipper go burr, um, you know, memes yeah. uh, like, well, that's in, in reference to pedophiles and people are disgusted and like morally outraged at, 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 at things like that, at things involving the abuse of children. And, and like, I would say rightfully so, but if we're going to act in like a materialist sense, it's like, well, well, why? Like, why, or like, why would you even be outraged about anything? The most you can say about it is it's just, well, th- those actions are not evolutionarily uh, preferable. We've we've de- we've developed, um, you know, our, our brain chemistry and structure have developed over time to view these things as not beneficial to the well-being and uh, survival of our species. And to me, it's just like that's not how we act. Like we we act as if there is a lot more to these things like morality and personhood and and rights than just what materialism can explain um in 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 an overwhelming majority uh, sense i would say like except for people who are born like sociopaths and like that's an interesting phenomenon too like people born like obviously there's something physical going on but then it's like it's just this weird thing where suddenly like they're engaging in the world without the like like the sort of like natural law the natural sense of morality built into them that the rest of us have um which you know creeps people out there's like studies where like people are without even knowing someone's like a like a sociopath like they they're they're creeped out in the interactions with them and they don't know how and it's just because like your brain is kind of picking up all these like weird like subtle hints and red flags that that person is not an honest actor um but yeah i mean that's kind of like where i come from it's like i don't know like i can't prove there's something beyond materialism but it just seems to me like they're they're almost it seems more likely than not that there has to be. Otherwise uh, it's hard for us to to sort of like explain and justify a lot of human uh, invention and and action. So I would say um, in either case, if there is something else or if there isn't, you see sort of a sliding scale in nature. I think it would be a mistake to say that you only see what you're describing in humanity. So, um, you know, elephants show a lot more human-like emotions than, you know, a snail does, or a dog shows a lot more human-like emotions than a rat does, you know, so it's, it's a sliding scale. Um, 
so you could say that's evolutionary. You know, humans have gotten to this point where, you know, something that um, would be natural to an elephant or a dog, say, like if, a, if another dog forces itself on another dog, that's not so abhorrent to the dog necessarily. But to humans, that's like, whoa, what, what is going on here? But at the same time, there are also human cultures that, you know, have lived in the jungle for centuries that we uncover who engage in cannibalism and sacrificing their children. So, you know, now you're approaching kind of animalistic tendencies. So to me, there isn't this clear delineation between humans and animals as far as what you're talking about, like this desire for a more fulfilled life. You know, you even see it in not in animals necessarily. You see it in nature. You know, the tree is trying to get as big and strong as it can. So either way, if it's materialist, you know, I would attribute it to evolution. But if there is some metaphysical force there, too, I don't think it just resides in us. I think it would be in all of nature, you know, and um, as far as man, the, the rest of your question I don't know if we have time tonight to get to all of it. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> deep I mean, stuff. Talking about morality. Um, I mean, I can go down that path if you want, but it, it's just a... It's yeah, it's a, just... Because it, that's where my main... Like, and and like, again, like, I am I do have kind of a questioning, skeptical mindset. So it's not like my, my, my Christian faith is something that doesn't get questioned. And and I, I don't think that's bad from a biblical sense. Like, the Bible kind of says, like... I think it makes a clear different differentiation between faith and knowledge and talks about having like, you know, the faith of a mustard seed that our faith can be weak, but God can make it strong. Um, right. and, and that it's okay to have doubts that, that doubts are natural. Um, you know, so it, that, that's not something that makes me the fact that I have doubts and I have these ongoing struggles and I'm trying to learn and, and make sense of my, of my faith and make sense of, of, of all the scripture to kind of, cause I, I don't, I think a lot of people like, kind of go down the path you you did where it's like they're trying to reconcile things in the bible but it seems like the the slippery slope so to speak is when they say well this part just can't be true Mm -hmm. but then it's like okay well that part can't be true now you got to justify why you're cherry picking the parts these parts are true and this part isn't and that seems to be like the fatal uh, blow to a lot of people's faith from an observational sense. Um, and like, that's something that like, you know, I, I, what I try to do is I try to not run away from any of the scripture and, um, I'm not saying it all says what it like to me, it's like, it's complicated. Like we we're talking about a book that was, it's a compilation of different books and writers written in all sorts of different languages and cultural overtones and stuff. And in each book has a different meaning. Like the purpose of the book of Leviticus is, starkly different than the book of job and is starkly different than the book of matthew or the book of of uh first corinthians like some of these are letters some of these are like first person testimonies written down some of these are clearly allegorical tales like uh it it was long the belief that like books like job were more like stories and less like this is a, a literal history of events that happened um and even even things like genesis it's like you know, like the the Bible isn't science, and I always find it w- like a little tangent. I'm always annoyed by young Earth creationists. I'm just like, why do you think the Bible is science? Like, why do you think that like seven days literally means seven days? 
Mm-hmm. Like the and and like it, God's it's like the point of the book of Genesis isn't here's the exact nature of a time by like a, a minute by minute step by step narrative of exactly how God created the universe. To me, it's like the whole point of Genesis is just like it's just explaining. It's like the beginning point of the relationship of God and man and our place in the universe. That's what you're supposed to get out of that book. The book wasn't written as a scientific thesis, so don't use it like that. I think that's just stupid. Um, but, yeah. but like my, my broader point to get back to it is just like I, I do try to incorporate all of scripture and not and not run away from it because to me it's like well I'm going to have faith and I'm going to try to reconcile these things. I can't cherry pick. I can try to like there might be hard passages that I need to go and study the original Greek, go and and, and go read some different commentaries on it, and and you know a lot of times there's things where like there'll be sentences or references that we take in a literal sense, but then you go back and go, well, actually this was a expression or a, or a, you know, a slang thing that was used to mean this back in those times. Uh, you know, there's so much of that in there, but, um, the, and the reason I go through that, like those, some people might say like, you're doing a lot of mental gymnastics. And it's like, well, maybe, I mean, I don't think that's bad to, exercise our mind and to try to explain things i mean not all parts of libertarian philosophy are straightforward right like right. especially when you get into anarchy and you, you start trying to explain how uh, a libertarian anarchist society could uh handle certain things like you know the the court system and crime and uh, defense against foreign invasion and stuff like that like some of that is you know you could classify it as mental gymnastics i don't know i think that's a bit of a semantics thing but i think it stands but the reason I do that is because I think that, like, I care about morality. I care about rights. I have a hard time conceptualizing those things in a naturalist mindset. And so really that's kind of like my fundamental motivation. So I'm always curious to hear, you know, from, from libertarian atheists. It's like, well, we have the same – like, we're coming to the same conclusions here as far as, like, morality and ethics. But we're coming at it from from radically different approaches approaches it seems and i'm just like i'm I'm trying to kind of like in good faith understand where people are making it because like my worry is that uh christianity is true but it's kind of like in a jordan peterson sense and like i know some people cringe at jordan peterson because like he's not libertarian but like you know you can you can learn valuable things from people who aren't great on all their political beliefs. I'm sorry. Um, I think Jordan Peterson talks about Christianity in a sense of like it being true, not on a scientific level, not even like Jordan Peterson would even push it more than me to say it's not even always true in a, this stuff literally happened level, but it seems to almost that like Christianity and religion speaks to truths that are like on a, this like weird, like narrative psychological metaphysical level that like without these things we couldn't be here if there wasn't some compelling thing beyond materialism to make people care about ethics and rights and and these things and to view like we don't just view people and like i don't view you as just a bag of chemicals i view you as a person and it seems to me that these things are a lot deeper than what materialism can explain and i don't understand it's like people don't act like when you know, again, it's just like nobody acts like, oh, it's wrong for us to do this to this child or this woman or this person because this is evolutionarily unpreferable. Like, that's not what actually motivates people. What motivates people is usually like a very strong guttural reaction. Um, the last thing I'll say is like even even in societies like what you were mentioning where, where 
like cannibalism and some other messed thing messed up things happen um they still have some sense of a moral code i'm not saying all societies have the same moral code but usually it's like uh there's something they have some kind of yeah they have some well they 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 do but i i don't think they it's not um, as involved yeah and that's where it gets a little bit like we don't have the time to go into all of that but um but it seems to me there's like a huge drop off between humans and the animal kingdom. Like I know there are some animals that, that like they mate for life and people study them and they show various levels of emotions and stuff, but it just seems like, I don't know of any animals that have, I'd say an elephant is a lot closer to a human than a worm. You know, I mean, there's a huge, there's a huge. uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think worms are almost like, just a step above plants almost. I mean, um, so I I would agree with that, but I think there's a huge gap between even elephants and people. Like, I don't think elephants have these sophisticated, like, uh, models of morality and ethics that we do. Um, I think there's a huge, um, you know, step between you and me and Aborigines who are, uh, eating each other and, you know, sacrificing their children. I'd say that's a big step too. I think a lot of that's environmental though, right? Like it's like they're born into these certain uh, cultures and stuff, but like they do have a culture. They do like, even within that, that subculture, they're going to have things that they're like, well, like these things are okay, but these things clearly not. And it's almost like they're, they're possessed by an ideology of religion and clearly like, you know, religion can be harmful. I think (laughs) that's, that's, that's obvious. Ideology can be, can be harmful. Um, But but there's again, it's almost like except for people who are born or or develop some kind of like you know sociopathy later in life, it just seems like most people, even if they disagree on like the exact instances in which rape, murder, and theft are wrong, mm-hmm. most people do view those things as wrong, and especially murder and rape towards the more vulnerable to be wrong which is kind of weird because you'd almost think like i've always been confused but you might not like i'm I'm sure you're not like a you know you're not a evolutionary biologist so you probably couldn't answer this but like doesn't it seem kind of backwards like wouldn't evolution make you disfavor the weak and kind of be like oh well if bad things happen to the weak we're like they're getting weeded out so the strong survive i don't know what would be in evolution that would make you defend the the less fortunate defend those who are uh born with disabilities or who who struggle it's like it seems to me that like nature would push people more towards like well we're, we'll we'll go out of our way to protect the strong and the people who are going to help us survive and help our society but the downtrodden the old the weak whatever like you know we'll just have to let them you know die off because it's you know what i mean like it just seems to me like morality is just so much bigger than what evolution can explain but i i'm 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 also letting my biases play play onto that observation i think if that's the case then you see it in other areas though i mean you have elephants who come back and mourn at their you know (laughs) their relatives graves for years after they've died it doesn't really make any sense there's nothing evolutionary in in the way you're describing about that you know it doesn't as far as maybe maybe the vegans are right and elephants are people too (laughs) (laughs) yeah i mean to me if there is something out there and you've probably noticed that i've kind of made this statement already that we're all connected whatever that is if there is something metaphysical i don't think it's specifically to humans i think it covers the entire natural world um and 
I am very interested in that prospect. Like I, I, I want to know if that exists and if that exists, I want to know what it is. I think that religion actually obstructs us from finding out what that truly is because what religion is, is guiding your interests or your criticisms in a certain direction instead of just going at it and trying to figure out what those things could be. Religion diverts you and says, no, 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 this is what that is. And if I mean, you couldn't, don't go couldn't ahead. all ideology and philosophy fall under that critique though. Like, isn't like libertarianism and, and like anarcho-capitalism or whatever. Like these are all things that kind of like push us to sort of like view certain things all kind of through a particular lens. Like we kind of view like libertarian philosophy kind of teaches you to look at things through the aggression of the non-aggression principle, uh, to, to view things through a concept of negative rights. It's right. like, um, now you could say so those if things. You, if you got to a point where libertarianism conflicted with what made sense to you, I don't think you should accept the libertarian answer. I think you should, mm-hmm you should try to figure that out. I mean, if you're like, man, I really don't get this, but libertarianism says this, that's when you have made libertarianism a religion. It's no longer a critical thought process where you're questioning everything and trying to find out what's true. You are letting someone else tell you what's true and not internalizing it at all. Just saying, okay, this is, you know, this is what they say. This is the way it goes. Um, So I think you can believe in God without being religious. You know, I think people can have, um, convictions that have, or experiences that have led them to believe something, but their that was their honest conclusion. It wasn't um, that they got to this place and said, okay, this is what I have to believe. Oh, well, this is what I think. No, you're not allowed to think that you need to think this instead. That's what my issue is. Um, hmm. And, you know, that I think that translates over to politics, over to life in general. Like if you're living that way, I don't think that's a good thing. I don't think it's a good thing to put your questions aside and to just accept what other people have said, if it doesn't make sense to you. Oh, absolutely. I agree. Yeah. So, I mean, cause then you don't actually believe in it. And, um, (laughs) you know, I mean, belief is, (laughs) belief is involuntary. Um, you know, I can't decide to believe that I'm wearing a blue shirt right now. You know, I, I can't just, like yeah that's blue i mean i it's impossible i involuntary believe involuntarily believe i'm wearing a red shirt and there's nothing i can do about that i believe that the world is a globe i don't believe it's flat i can't change my mind on that you have to change my mind you have to give me evidence that would literally change my thought process to think that the world is flat so you also you know, have to be predisposed to accept the evidence if it's given to you Sure. You know what I mean, so that there's that added element. If you can show people all the evidence in the world and they can go, la, 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 la. <laughs> yeah, well, that's <laughs> you know actually, I, mean? I mean, that's my critique of religion because a lot of people, they don't want to be presented with um, alternative ideas that would question what they believe because, you know, then that's, you know, you're backsliding or, you know, that's Satan tempting you to follow no, yeah. faith or whatever. I mean, and I know not all Christians are like that, um, you know, but. That, that that religious mindset of um, questions that, um, yeah, answers that can't be questioned instead of questions that can't be answered, that's where I think it gets bad. And, um, you know, when you have yeah. texts that are thousands of years old that are presented as absolute truth and that if you deviate from them, you burn in hell for eternity, 
to me, that's just not, uh, you know, that's not a positive way of trying to figure out truth, trying to figure out what the world is. When you're, when you have uh, this system that scares people from questioning because they don't want to end up at a place where they think they could go to hell, where they think that they could fall out of favor with God, whatever it is. Sure. I just don't think that's healthy. So, I mean, whenever I'm criticizing religion, that's what I'm talking about. If you believe, if you have had an angel visit you, or if you have died and, you know, been dead for four hours and you went to heaven and then you woke <laughs> up like, okay, that's right. your experience. I, right. didn't have it. I am not judging you. I am judging uh, and I'm not even judging religious people. I'm judging the idea of religion. You know, the idea that you have to think these yeah. things, and if you deviate from them, then you're fucked. So, well, that's it, it's funny you say that because it's like there's there's a lot there I I agree with, and and you know my my journey to making this podcast and this project of I'm doing of biblical anarchy is it's not just aimed at challenging Christians to change their political presupposition i mean it's definitely like the forefront of it right but it goes a lot deeper than that it goes into pushing christians to i think be more consistent and to be less dogmatic and i think kind of like the the criticisms that you're really highlighting are the dogmatism like the dog the dogma yeah the dogmatism like that aspect of religion is the most mm-hmm. harmful versus like if some if people are using religion in a sense of like well like through my experiences I've I've come to these beliefs and this lifestyle is and these belief systems are what bring me fulfillment and mm-hmm. I'm going to voluntarily live according to these you know th- these guidelines and these religious presuppositions versus the the dogmatism that to me is a lot of a lot of that is just I, I can't look at the history of the church and not see a lot of like a lot of the constructs that people criticize the most I can't help but see how they're just intrinsically tied to the state and i think a lot of a lot of the early church to go back and study like the early church fathers like before constantine before catholicism before rome and i'm sorry to i have a couple of friends of mine watching right now who are catholics and it's like i don't hate catholics it just i mean it's like i actually there's a lot in the history of catholicism after that initial merging of state and church that i do like and appreciate but man like that initial uh thing really muddied the waters and corrupted it like you didn't really i mean there was calls to repent and and things like that in the early church but you didn't see these systems of coercion and these systems of fear-mongering and stuff like when when people went and preached the gospel it was about like uh accept christ into your heart so you can live now and you can appreciate the fullness of a relationship with him it wasn't you know, the person standing in the street corner saying, repent now or burn filthy sinners. You know what I mean? Like that yeah. wasn't, and to me, a lot of the, the, the doctrines and the, and the things about, about hell and the things about, uh, you know, and, and a lot of the dogmatic elements about not questioning things and people being, you know, killed for being heretics and for questioning God, like that all came out of the, the incentives that came out of, uh, you know, statism, like when the church merged with the state and it became like, to me, like that was, you know, that's my observation. And I don't think it's really a unique one. I think Constantine really didn't believe in Christianity. I think he was like, uh, my empire's crumbling and I got barbarians invading. And, uh, you know, I got all this internal turmoil because Christians and pagans. So it's like, Hey, how about we, uh, so it's like, really, it was like 
Catholicism was like this weird commingling of paganism, Christianity, and and statism, you know, weaved into all of that. And the the problem yeah. is, it's like it is really hard to go back and study history and try to separate the baby from the bathwater without just cherry picking. It's like, well, well I don't like this, so I'm going to cherry pick it out. And that's that's a hard process. But I think it's something that Christians have to do and i'm pushing christians to do because um and i think you're like and obviously like my goal wasn't to have you on here and like i was going to talk you out of your atheism i think that's ridiculous i think that honestly (laughs) yeah (laughs) well no it's like i actually kind of agree with what you said which is like you said well if somebody had a revelation of god then it would be rational for them to believe in god and um you know my kind of background in christianity is sort of um of the reformed tradition um and I think, you know, like, like Lutherans, the Calvinists, a lot of them do kind of agree that like faith in God does kind of come after some kind of revelation. Like people don't kind of just rationally like argue themselves into faith. Like nobody's just like, you know, studying philosophy and then just like (laughs) going, uh, well, just, you know, Christianity just makes the most rational sense. So I'm just going to start believing in God. Like that's not actually how people uh, come, I mean, some people were just born in it and I think do it out of like tradition and it's not okay. very thoughtful for yeah. them. Um, and, and that's a challenging subject about like how you raise your kids and, uh, you know, like, you know, that's a whole different conversation. But um, but a lot of people like the Christians who are really outspoken about it to them, like something happened to them and they had a what they would describe as a personal revelation. It's like, well, yeah, and you can't prove your personal revelation. There's always part of you that's like, you know, might have some doubts about it, but that uh, those ex- that experience or experiences, plural sometimes, are what drive you to have your faith. And it's like, that's fine. And if somebody yeah. hasn't had that, well, that's fine too. I can't argue like, you know, I could spend the next five hours arguing with you and nothing would change. You could have yeah. a 30-second experience just driving home one day and it's and then go on Twitter and be like, I've come back to Christ. It's like, that's to me, that's how it works. But I do find these conversations to be uh, important to have because I mean, on one, I think it's just interesting and useful to kind of like hash out our like philosophical disagreements um, just in a, just kind of like as someone who's intellectually curious, but two, it's just, I see a lot of like, this isn't the type of infighting that's the most problematic in the Liberty movement, but it does happen here and there where it's just the, the Christian side and the atheist side will start, you know, snarkily going after one another. And to me, it's just like, I don't know. Can't we find a way to come to a, like a place where we can have these kind of conversations and kind of like understand and appreciate where we're coming from and appreciate that, like these conversations can continue to happen while we also like, hey, we do agree on all these things. Like, we agree on the nature of the state. We agree on like the direction we want to go in ending tyranny, ending the wars, ending the war on drugs. Like, you know, it's like, can we find that camaraderie to to not let all like the the like uh, things that to me stem out of the culture wars that's kind of pushed. I think more by the. I think it's kind of pushed by the duopoly, pushed by the establishment. Like they want all this. Uh, cultural fighting they want the left and the right you know pitted against each other they want christian the religious and the non-religious pitted against each other sure it's like let's not do that let's just you know if we want to have interesting conversations about our disagreements but then like you know i don't need to go around shit posting about 
atheists and 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 you know uh making comments about them and and also like you know atheists you know probably don't do anything productive if they go around like shitting on people for being christians or saying like well you can't be a christian and an anarchist or a christian and a libertarian it's like we're not going to argue each other out of our beliefs so what we have to do is respect that we're coming from different backgrounds but also respect that we have we had the same conclusions and we can move forward with that yeah so there's a lot there but um i'm going to uh say that you were talking about personal experience versus absolute truth so just as it would be wrong for me to claim my absolute truth and say that your personal experience has no validity, I look at it the same in the reverse for someone to have a personal experience and then claim it as absolute truth. So, you know, um, I think that we're all trying to figure out what's true. And, you know, we might have small glimpses of what actually is true. Maybe you and I are both 30 percent right. You know, maybe we maybe the overlap we have is correct and, um, you know, that we're actually pushing towards something real. Uh, so the idea of, you know, my idea is absolutely true. I'm not going to listen to anything you have to say. That's stupid. I mean, same politically, you know, I'm, like as you said earlier with Jordan Peterson, there are people who have opinions that don't agree with us 100 percent of the time. And we should listen to them because there's validity in what they're saying. Um, I do want to speak to, you know, shit posting on Twitter. Uh, anyone who's watching, go look at my Twitter page. You'll have to scroll down. I don't know how many tweets, quite a few before you're going to find something about religion. I mean, I, I think maybe one out of 20, and that, that's a hot, that's a liberal estimate. One out of not, not, not politically liberal, like a, <laughs> a generous estimate that one right. out of 20 of my posts is about religion now, if you can go find something about Jesus specifically, I mean, you might have to scroll back days. I don't know. I don't even know when the last time I said. Yeah, I can't recall that. ever seeing much from you about Jesus specifically. Yeah. So people who, you know, most people actually don't complain about my shit posting. It's it's just like 12 people. And I, and I wasn't about, I wasn't no, no, actually no. complaining about you specifically I at know. all. I mean, I know um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I just want to talk about it because there's been a, yeah. a lot of accusation lately from several people that I do this. Um, you know, it's also Twitter where we're discussing these ideas. And if you can't handle someone questioning what you believe, you know, maybe you shouldn't be on Twitter. Like if that's going to cause you to spaz out and go into a temper tantrum, like maybe you shouldn't be there. And uh, there's nothing in my profile about God or atheism or anything, because it's not the most important thing to me. Um, there are a lot of Christian uh, libertarians who have the cross or, you know, a picture of the cross or something about Christ in their name, that's fine. And there are also lots of Christian libertarians who post things about God and about the Bible. And I have literally, um, I don't think I've ever argued with any of them on any of their posts. Like I've never jumped in on theirs. I just make my own. And I'm, you know, I have a bit of humor and on Twitter, you use a little bit of hyperbole. So if I can find some post that's going to make people think, um, and it might not be a hundred percent accurate, you know, but it, it gets the point across, um, you know, I mean, that's how Twitter works. Like you can't always, you can't have a nuanced thought out, flushed out opinion in a tweet. Sometimes you just got to say something that's going to get people to go, Whoa, that's a crazy thought. What does that mean? Um, yeah. So I make those about religion occasionally and then I'll get, you know, people throwing doctrine at me and like, actually, it's like, I, OK, dude, it's a tweet. Like, you know, 
it wasn't a philosophical statement like just get over it but um my 240 right, character like, tweet wasn't actually a, philosoph- a philosophical <laughs> thesis but Shocked. you're right like, <laughs> i mean libertarians can't let christianity or you know any religion versus atheism divide them and if you're getting angry about somebody else's religious opinion i think that you're proving that you're the one who's the problem like hmm. Who cares what other people think? If they want to say something that's offensive to you about your religion, just forget it. Like, I see it all the time about me. Like, there's all sorts of posts about how dumb atheists are. Oh, well. Like, I mean, I just make my own posts. You make your own. You think what you think about religion. Everyone else thinks what they do. Like, there's no need for us to cater to each other and, um, you know, say like, oh, yeah, your ideas are great. Like, I'm not going to make posts about how I think heroin use is awesome because I don't think it is. You know, I don't think adultery <laughs> is good. I don't think lying to people is good. I don't think, you know, name whatever it is. Like, I, I will criticize whatever I want and you can agree with me or disagree with me. But I will never say, yeah, that that's, you know, that, that, that's got some validity to it. Um, <laughs> that's my wife. <laughs> I will. I have never ever ever said that you can't be a libertarian and a christian or religious or whatever um and i will never attempt to push anyone out of the libertarian party or libertarian movement who's religious because we (laughs) we're a minority group as it is there are very few people who think the way we do if you are if you are like an islamist like a fundamentalist muslim and that somehow brings you to libertarianism like, I don't, I don't understand that, but I'll be like, okay, you know, come on. In. Like, we need you. We need as many people as we can. Um, so, yeah, I mean, you're right. We can't let it, we can't let it um, pit us against each other. But, you know, if you're someone who believes that, anyone who's watching, if you see some take on religion that someone makes, just ignore it. Like, you're, you're feeding the problem if you can't handle that someone would think something differently than you. That's the yeah. whole point of libertarianism is that we don't have to agree on religion. Yeah, and I think, like, I mean, to to speak on the Islam thing, like, Islam is probably the religion I have the most issue with. But if I met a Muslim libertarian who was doing, like, the Muslim version of what I'm doing, like, I would promote that. Like, I'd have them on my podcast. But listen, like, um, it's more productive for liberty for me to encourage Muslims to embrace liberty through whatever means possible than it is for, like, well, let me first, like, if I was an atheist, like, or, 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 like, Either way, like if I was an atheist, to be like, well, let me first disavow of your your religion, and then convince you on liberty, or as a Christian, like let me convert you and then convince you. It's like no, like like we can have this conversation separately, but right. in terms of like the liberty movement and and working together in the party or another other means, it's just more productive to be like, okay, like if you find a way to the same conclusion as I do through different means, we can disagree about the means, but in the here and now, while like you know we're we're not. Like the liberty movement isn't uh, going up against things that are like petty and trivial. Like there's some things that are like, you know, awful, like things that are like a lot more important to be focused on right now than, you know, like prioritizing. Like we all have to have the same exact route to libertarianism. Right. And honestly, it's good that we have people from different backgrounds doing it. Like and like I always have a hard time explaining this because like atheism isn't really a belief system. But I always try to say, like, I want to encourage atheists to reach out to others who are atheists or like in like the atheist social media community to be like, listen, the same deconstruction process you did with religion, do exactly. that with the state. Yep. And, and, and then like what I try to do with Christian is to be like, listen, if you believe the Bible is true, 
I'm going to challenge you on like, you know, mainly these like four or five passages that you think justify a state and they actually don't. And then B, we're going to go and actually see the numerous instances where Christians or Jews back in the Old Testament um, disobeyed the state. And, you know, there's even a passage where God says um, uh, statism's kind of fucked up and you're going to be the slaves of your ruler. So yeah. maybe you shouldn't do that. <laughs> For Samuel's, Samuel 8. Samuel's talking to the yeah. the Jews, telling them, you you don't want it. Yes, we want a king. No, you don't. Yes, we yeah. do. Okay, here you go. <laughs> right. And it's just yeah. like a parent going like, it's like when your kid like, wants to do something, you're like, you're going to get hurt. It's like, I don't want to do it. It's like, yeah. all right, I warned you. You know, no, so, I, whatever. <laughs> I completely agree with you. I mean, that's what I do with atheists. Most of my, I think I've done like three videos on religion. By the way, there's another point. Like I've done 140 videos. Three of them are on religion. So anyone who thinks I'm obsessing over religion and trying to be divisive about it, like you know, just you know, just look at the statistics. But anyway, uh, one of the one of the videos I was uh, talking about how. Um, you know, it's so hypocritical to be an atheist who doesn't believe in a higher power and doesn't believe in arbitrary rules and doesn't want the church taking a certain percent of your money and doing what they want with it. It's like, have you ever looked at the state? I mean, like you, they, they have funny costumes, just like some people in the Catholic church do, you know, they have these funny rituals like communion and, you know, uh, <laughs> baptism, whatever, like, and they have all these arbitrary laws that they've come up with that, you can't question if you do and, you know, you get thrown in a cage or whatever. Like, I mean, any atheist who has an issue with religion and is OK with the state is the biggest hypocrite ever. And I would say maybe right. you won't believe maybe you're not a theist. Maybe you don't believe in a, like a literal God, but you are religious. I mean, mm -hmm. you, yeah, you believe absolutely. in a system that you are not allowed to question and that will actually kill you if you don't believe. So you, you actually believe in the worst religion. I think statism is well, by yeah. far the worst religion. Like I'd put it above fundamentalist Islamism. You know, that's right behind it because they still kill you if you leave that one, too. But I mean, statism <laughs> is statism is up there. I mean, that's the that's the but, one. That's that, my main critique of your one. Like the thing that's in your intro where it's like we say was like when leftists become less religious, they become bigger statists and when uh people on the right become more religious they become bigger statists it's like i think actually the problem is in the way you're using the word religious it's like the left does get more religious and become more statist it's just like to them the religion be they reject one religion but they pick up another and right. i think and that you was, know what i mean it was in the middle of a conversation so yeah a clip I got. oh yeah, I just, yeah. yeah but i mean in the sense of doctrinal ancient religions you know the left is becoming less religious in that sense but they're becoming more statist. And then you look at the right, they're combining their religion with the state for the most part. And it's becoming this like pro-military back the blue, you know, lock up the degenerates, whatever. And it's like, you guys are both horrible. I mean, you're, yeah. you're you know, so, <laughs> yeah. that, you know, these people who say that religion is what's poisoning the public, I don't think so. I mean, I think I think it really comes down to individualism, like whether you're an atheist society or a religious society, if you look through history where um, they value individualism, things do better. So you can have the Spanish Inquisition, you know, obviously uh, under a theocratic government, but then or not theocratic, but, you know, under a government that has uh, a religion. But then you can look at communist Russia where there's no religion. I mean, <laughs> I don't want to live in either of those places. They they murder you for. Um, you know, for disobeying the high command 
Uh, so to me, what really matters is individualism and mm -hmm. any Christian or Jew or Muslim or whatever pastafarian. Like if you're going to look at me as an individual and you're going to uh, respect my rights, I care about that a lot more than, you know, what you think happens after we die. So, yeah, I think at the end of the day, it's like and it's like hard to come up with like a consistent term. But I think what we reject is like, I don't think it's even like so much like it's not religion in a broad sense. It's like it's it is the I guess you could call it dogmatism where it's just like it's people who just who believe things and do things in an uncritical, unquestioning fashion who right. who act out of like a ideology that they they haven't actually come come to through a series of like somewhat like ra you know like rational or reason processes they're they're doing so more based upon like an ideological possession i guess and and yeah. and not being willing to like it's like and you can have i think ideologies and systems and philosophies can be good but you have to be able to question them you have to be able to think them through um it's like i don't think it's it's all faith or reason. I think it's kind of like you need a, a tension between these these two things to kind of like guide you through through life, so to speak. So, um, yeah, yeah. Um, I think, uh, you know, dogma versus philosophy. I think you can have a mm. philosophy without being dogmatic. If philosophy is looking at the bigger picture. Uh, yeah, I, I think this with libertarians, too, you know, libertarians who. Uh, are already living in Ancapistan. You know, they, they, they can't look at any sort of incrementalism or situational circumstances. You know, I, I think the same way with uh, with your religion or lack of religion, whatever it is. And by the way, you can be, um, you know, my least favorite group of people is uh, in America, at least, is liberal atheists, especially ones who were never Christians because they, <laughs> you know, they don't have any connection to it. And they're just childish angry fist waving idiots you know and um i don't i <laughs> it really annoys me because you know they gave they give my position a bad name i guess sure um, and um you know you can be a stupid unquestioning atheist i mean if you've never questioned the possibility that there is no god like if if you've if you've never considered that there could be a god and you've never gone down that path like i think you're living a pretty boring life i mean if you haven't sure. ever wondered about that and wanted to know the truth um so you can I, I i think you can be a dogmatic atheist dogmatic christian or dogmatic uh agnostic i guess if you really don't want to think about it at all and you're just someone who's like nope nope i don't want to you know i don't think that's good either so i think the critical thinking and the ability to question is really what it all comes down to yep 100 percent agree um, well, we're about out of time here. Um, for, so you want to, um, uh, plug your, your podcast and your channel quick for those who, uh, who don't follow you. Sure. So, um, I have the naturalist capitalist podcast on YouTube and you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Reed Coverdale. I talk probably 98% about politics, but I do talk a little bit about religion, a little bit about culture a little bit about traveling, a little, uh, a little bit about truck driving on the channel. There's a lot of stuff uh, when I'm hauling a big, interesting load. I'm, I'm a heavy equipment truck driver, so I move bulldozers, excavators, things like that around the Western states. So you'll see some cool videos of that occasionally. Um, but yeah, come subscribe to the channel. Uh, I'm newly on uh, 
Anchor. So you can follow me on Spotify or, you know, all those platforms that Anchor reaches. Um, but yeah, I got some interesting interviews coming up. Uh, Abby Martin. Um, uh, what's his name? Uh, the other guy with the mustache, not John Stossel. Um, I just met him at Porkfest. That's bad. Forgetting his name. Uh, Matt Kibbe, <laughs> uh, Tulsi Gabbard, and then hopefully Peter Schiff at some point soon. So, you know, come subscribe and there'll be some interesting conversations coming up. Cool. Um, yeah. And, uh, you know, unfortunately I came in saying you were the second best libertarian trucker, but I guess after this podcast, you've been demoted to third. So, I mean, but you'll, you can rebound. I have faith in you. Well, I will just let the two <laughs> truckers who are above me, I will let them claim that title so they can feel better about themselves. I'll just <laughs> Uh, I just had to put that up before we left. Um, and yeah, and you know, uh, you, uh, you guys can follow me uh, at Biblical Anarchy on Twitter, uh, YouTube, uh, Daniel 3 Biblical Anarchy. And you can also find me um, also on Anchor. So Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, all that stuff. Uh, Reed, it was good having you on. Um, like I, said, we, I think we have uh, a lot in common, but also some interesting differences that were, you know, interesting to talk about. And, and you know, this is the culture that's, you know, briefly at the end here. This is like what you find in the Mises caucus is a lot of people yeah. who are different. Like we're not all these monolithic, you know, right wingers. Like a lot of us have really complex backgrounds and different ways of looking at things. And when you come to like our, our meetings and conventions and all that, like it's like this times like a hundred because there's so many different people to talk to. Um, and you know, it's, uh, just wanted to, to put that, I think like, you know, and like something we both agree on and talk about is like, you know, let's, both in a libertarian sense and then a cultural sense. Let's stop fighting about the things we disagree on, at least like focusing on that. Let's, let's, let's unite. Like we, we have, we have to unite and fight against the, the tyranny of the state. We have to get, uh, we have to fight against the, the gen genocide in Yemen. We have to, to fight against the millions of people locked up for nonviolent crimes. We, we have to push back against the, you know, the cathedral, the omnipotent call to the state, whatever you want to call it. Like, you know, we have we have to prioritize things and we can't get caught up in, in petty squabbles. We can have, you know, we should have good faith conversations like this and then get back to work, be, be brothers in arms against the true enemy, which is centralization, which is authoritarianism, which is the state. That's my last yeah. word. All, all I'd say to add to that is, um, you know, also uh, atheists and Christians, they're not monoliths either. You know, a lot of Christians yeah. will have different paths and different beliefs, actually. You know, they don't all believe exactly the same thing. Same with atheists. Uh, you know, if you talk, if you had me and Richard Dawkins sit down next to each other, there's a lot we would disagree on. And especially in presentation and, uh, you know, strategy. Um, and then also, uh, yeah, just um, realize the big picture. Uh, don't hate each other over uh, over what you think is going to happen after you die. You know, care about what's going to happen while you're still alive. Let's uh, right. focus on that. <laughs> Absolutely. All right, my brother. Thanks for coming on and uh, talk to you again soon. Thank you. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. 
So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.